the capabilities that you have been blessed with are there on loan. They do not belong to you and they can be taken away in an instant, right? And this was such an, such, uh, uh, you know, a chilling revelation, something that took root in me and it has sprouted and flourished because uh, I saw firsthand that my brother, who was the most eloquent of, of all our siblings, is now left with absolutely no mm. language. I'm Sadia Tariq, and you're listening to Dhani, the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Ashia Kasim, who's a neuro rehabilitation physician and has also explored the neuroscience of creativity and how artistic expression can help bridge the gaps in communication and prove therapeutic in a variety of neurological conditions, including aphasia. In these wonderful 30 minutes of our conversation, Dr. Ashia Kasim takes us through her life passions, through her life-changing incidents, and what she thinks of COVID-19. Dr. Kasim, thank you so much for being on Dhani. Truly uh, appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm honored that you thought of me as somebody that you'd like to speak with. Ma'am, I saw one of your uh, TED Talks and, uh, and since then I was trying to, and we were trying to sort of match time since you're based in Tokyo. My first question, very quick. Um, you um, have an interest and a passion for uh, art, poetry, prose, yet your profession um, is um, in medicine. Yes, How that's true. have you managed to weave um, this entire fabric for yourself? This is a very interesting question. We could probably spend the whole interview talking about this, but I'll just give you a little uh, a little intro. Uh, I often joke that um, art was my first love, but I got married to medicine and then I eloped with writing. And uh, I think there is some truth to this uh, this statement, and I've said it so many times that it's become a paradox in itself. Uh, but the the fact is that I... When I was growing up, I was a very hands-on, creative uh, child that liked to do things with, uh, you know, exploring materials and uh, trying to make interesting things out of them. And I, uh, despite my interest, I knew that I had been ordained for a, a career in in medicine because I was unlucky enough to be a good student, and that sort of, from a Pakistani parents' perspective. That was uh, <laughs> enough to, you know, um, to declare that I was going to be a doctor. Uh, and I, uh, I don't regret their decision now. There was a time when I used to, uh, you know, ask my father uh, to reconsider the fact that I've entered medical school should be grounds enough to, uh, you know, uh, to uh, show that I'm capable, but I should be allowed to do whatever I wanted to do with my life and I should go into mm -hmm. art school then. But he didn't, he didn't listen to me at that time and I'm so grateful for him. But life has a full, uh, you know, life has a way of coming a full circle. So um, in medical school, I understood truly what the beauty of the human form is. Uh, it's such an amazing machine that has been made and it's not just the visible beauty of the human anatomy, but also the intricate machinery that is at play at each and every 
level from molecular to neuronal to cellular to name it and everything is in perfect equilibrium in the perfect harmony and balance and it is a marvel of creation that I had absolutely no idea uh, before and I think what medicine did was show me the, the the beauty of this creation in such an intrinsic and at such an intimate level that it has helped me in whatever line I have I have pursued in life. You asked me how I, I braid all these things together, but there is an inherent uh, braiding uh, within the human existence. I mean, these disciplines are there for the sake of, um, uh, you know, uh, ease of, uh, uh, of description. But in a human experience, in a human existence, all these disciplines tend to intervene. There is no part of the human body that is specific for the arts and there is no part of the body that is only concerned with, with sciences or medicine or uh, something like that. So um, I haven't found it difficult to, uh, you know, to integrate all these things. Even in the practice of medicine, we learn that medicine is an art. Uh, it's the art of medicine that you practice. You go through it by the scientific, uh, uh, in a scientific manner. You learn all the rules in a scientific manner, but then you're left to practice it as an art form. And wow. uh, yes, that is the beauty that I, I, I discovered in, in, in this, um, you know, in this vocation. Uh, coming back to the point of how I, integrate art and writing into my medical career as i said before that life has a full life has a way of coming a full circle so things happened within my life that brought um, the pursuit of arts back to the forefront at a time when i wasn't expecting it and in a manner that was not antagonist to my pursuit of pursuit of medicine in fact they complemented each other and uh, they enabled me to look into this thing called the neuroscience of creativity and to explore the value of art as therapy for patients you know patients that I deal with I mainly deal with patients with neurological diseases and there is growing evidence that uh, pursuit of creative activity is therapeutic for these patients and it enables health and well-being and a growing trend of art therapy is emerging. So it's not just me, the whole universe is conspiring to bring everything together. And I think I'm just playing a part, you know, playing a role in that. Ma'am, uh, the TED talk that I saw was uh, about you describing a phenomena called aphasia um, and how uh, life kind of threw it at you. Uh, would you like to take us through that, please? Uh, sure. Um, so I, I will not go into all the details that I, I shared in my TED talk, and that would probably also encourage the readers to go and listen to that. So this is a you know a personal advertisement sure. right here. Uh, but <laughs> I will I, I will I will just briefly uh, describe. So my brother, who's a, a decade younger to me, uh, he was a, a student of final year in chartered accountancy uh, a decade ago when he was in a road traffic accident that left him with severe brain injuries. And uh, he was in a coma for three months and he had five brain surgeries and 
for those three months, there was no hope that he would make it to the other end. And this coincided with the point in my life when I had just completed my training uh, as a junior doctor in neurology. And um, I was, was very keen to pursue neurology, but other aspects of neurology to, uh, as, as a vocation and as, you know, in, as further training in my medical career. So when my brother woke up, he ended up having uh, paralysis all down his right side. So his arm, leg, his mouth, his face, the half, half of his tongue, all of that was paralyzed. But in addition to that, um, what he had was a condition called aphasia, where the part of the brain that deals with language and communication, that gets disrupted. So he lost the effective use of language. It wasn't that he lost hearing or intelligence. It's just that he lost the means of communicating with the environment. And uh, for me, it was... Uh, it came at a time when I, when my, uh, you know, I was in the middle of a, a line of professional pursuit that I'd undertaken, but my brother's condition made it imperative that I look into, you know, means that would help him and help my parents, of course. They, they were, my, my family at that point, point my parents were completely non-medical. I was their first. I, I'm the eldest. So uh, the sort of responsibility of dealing with the situation fell on me. Uh, and it became imperative that I uh, not only uh, help in ease the, you know, the acceptance of this new paradigm of life where uh, my 20-year-old brother, who was previously completely well and able, was suddenly reduced to a state where he could no longer even hold his head up or go to the bathroom on his own or do anything. And in addition, he had all these other complicated medical needs as well. So it uh, forced me, uh, I would say enabled me to look into these aspects of uh, neurology that are less, you'd say, glamorous. Uh, but for people who uh, are in the throes of it. These are the areas of neurology that are very important. So I deal with what is essentially the field of neuro rehabilitation. So what mm -hmm. do you do? What do you do with with life after you're in uh, an incident like this, where it changes the set of abilities that you have, um, but you're still supposed to live? So how do you deal with that? What do you do with your new find, new found uh, existence? And how do you make yourself adaptable uh, to your limitations and still manage to live and find meaning in it and find, uh, find purpose in it? So that's where I, that's where I had to divert. Um, coming back to the question about aphasia, aphasia became the most significant disability that my brother was left with he when he woke up from the accident obviously there were many things that were wrong he wasn't he was bedridden and he couldn't hold his head up and he couldn't go to the to the bathroom or feed himself but all those things he managed to somehow gain within a year or so of intense intense hard work by my parents and my younger brother and a lot of other therapists that were involved uh, but the sure. one predominant thing that 
not only became a hurdle, a barrier, but intensely frustrating was the fact that he could not communicate any longer. And prior mm. to this accident, he had been able to, he used to write songs and he used to make jokes and he was the funny guy in the family. And now he was rendered in a, in a position where there was no, you know, the two-way street of communication was blocked. And mm. this was extremely frustrating, not just for him, but for all of us as well. Uh, mm. And to see him in that, in that um, frustration was very painful for my, my parents. And uh, how could you, you know, how could you see somebody going through that and not try and help them? So that is how sure. I, that is how, that is, you know, a very selfish and a very personal reason for being interested in aphasia. But, you know, I think this is uh, the universe's way of directing your attention to a place that it feels needs your input. So mm. when I entered the world of aphasia, I realized it's a, it's a vast, largely unexplored area. There is so much that needs to be done and understood. And there are people who are working, but still the human brain and its limits and its vastness is so beyond our comprehension still that, you know, we, there is a lot that can be done. And to be a part of that mission, I think, is, is a purpose that is higher than um, just existing for your own self. And uh, I, I think that is why I feel that it was a blessing in disguise to be, uh, to, to have the opportunity of directing all my uh, abilities and forces to dealing with and exploring this area of human existence that requires so much work. Um, Ma'am, I just quickly wanted to ask you that is this, is this situation uh, purely physical? I mean, when the brain meets a trauma, a physical trauma, or is it congenital? Can it be psychological? So aphasia purely is uh, the uh, pathology in which an existing language pathway of a brain gets disrupted. And it's a very good thing that you've asked this question because let me take this opportunity of giving a very brief um, uh, view about the language disorders that you can have. So a person who is born with a set of hear ears that hear normally and there is no obvious um, impediment in their neurological uh, you know, neurological activity will acquire language, whatever language they are surrounded with. It's such an intrinsic and natural act of being human. Human beings are so mm. dependent on language that it is, you know, it, it is bound to happen. And then all our subsequent activities of living are so intricately involved to, to the language that we acquire. Now imagine that there is, there are people who are born with, um, for example, who have deafness when they're born, who have a congenital deafness, right? In those children, even though their brain is completely normal, but because they are deaf from the beginning, if they do not get uh, a cochlear implant, for example, or a means of overcoming the deafness, their brains do not get the stimulus of sound to develop the language pathways that the other children's right. brains do, right? So mm -hmm. those, those people end up having what are called developmental communication disorders, right? Sure. 
So their brains are not dependent on the language in a way that a normal hearing brain is dependent. So what does language do? Language is used for communication. It is also used for internal communication. So how are thoughts formed and how are they processed? A lot of that has to do with the, the language that you have in your, in your brain. So the brain is so dependent. If, if, you are a hear, if it is a hearing brain, it is so dependent on language, on all its modalities, that taking away the, the main switch that deals with language renders all these other modalities in limbo. On the other hand, mm. if it is a brain that has not developed the language pathways, they find alternate means of communicating. So, for example, they learn a sign language. And so their brains will process information coming from, uh, uh, you know, uh, the visual pathway. So whatever they look at from their eyes will be integrated into uh, their communication uh, modalities, right? So right. Th this is the main difference between an acquired language disorder like aphasia, which mm. means a pathway that had previously been created has been interrupted now, versus right. an, a, 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 a childhood developmental communication disorder, which means that the pathway never got, to, got around to be built in the first place. Of so course, th right. There's, there's a huge difference. Uh, when you talk about childhood um, intrinsic or, uh, as you said, congenital disorders, there are a lot of, a lot of those. For example, many people on the autism spectrum, many children on the autism spectrum have communication disorders. That pathology is different. Uh, right. There are all various other kinds of uh, developmental disorders that that affect uh, the you know the the use of language, but it's a completely different pathology. But here we are dealing with a person whose brain developed with language, and now language has been taken away. So this mm. is what I'm this is what I'm interested in. All right. Wow. That's deep. That's heavy. Um, um, so, ma'am, you um, have have described to us how life took you through various paths, and now you are where you are. Um, considering the 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 incident that hit your family, uh, and from then till now, what do you think are your three key learnings, um, key advancements, perhaps? Enumerating it into three would probably be. Uh very ambitious difficult but <laughs> of course it's it's been a lifetime of learning so just as pe the the world remembers uh, life before 911 and after and now with this latest pandemic people will always talk about a life that existed before the pandemic and then after uh, so this true. this incident was a similar and uh, you know a similar occurrence in our lives so it changed mm. everything it toppled everything over its head uh, i try and struggle what it was that I, what life was like before then. Uh, there's a nostalgic remembrance to it, but uh, because we had to deal with the newfound uh, paradigm and the new set of capabilities, everything changed. So it has been continuous learning and it hasn't stopped 10 years down the line. Uh, but I think the most um, significant, if, I, if, I, if I'm pressed to uh, summarize it into three points. First, uh, 
there is obviously this stigma associated with disability uh, and more so in our society, in our country, uh, in Pakistan, where my brother lives, but all over the world. And uh, resource de developed countries are n not significantly different from uh, Pakistan. It actually varies family to family. So people from the Pakistani mm. Indian diaspora, even in England and America, would be facing the same kind of stigmatization towards a disability. And people who are educated and um, broad-minded within Pakistan are you know, beyond the stigma. So it isn't really just a country, but a, a, a level of understanding that creates the stigma. And that is the hardest thing that we've had to deal with as a family and as, uh, uh, you know, as, as individual, my brother has to ha, has had to deal with. It. That's number one. The second thing, obviously, the, the fact that not all disabilities are alike. Uh, and this is mm -hmm. something I, I say with a lot of um, a lot of thought and with no intention of making anybody's experience feel less or less significant. But the truth of the matter is that all disabilities are completely different and they present different set of challenges. Um, in a way, this is what unites them. Uh, but they require uh, enough understanding to be able to deal with each disability in a different way. I'll explain it a little bit sure. because I think this is a sure. this is a point that needs to be driven uh, further. For example, a disability like aphasia in which the communication modality is completely taken away uh, is social, more socially isolating as compared to a disability that still allows you to keep communicating your needs and your desires and your wants. Right. Uh, mm. So th this is something that people often overlook. And this, you know, if you're if you're an able bodied person and you don't really ha you're not really sensitized to the to disabilities, then you can easily sit in your in your comfort and put lump all the disabilities alike. And sure. I think our struggle has been to try and raise a little more awareness. Inclusivity means accepting the different challenges that come with a differently abled existence like in our in in a normal mm. in a normal society in normal populations we all have different uh, problems at different times of our lives in different situations and all of those are acceptable uh, why then suddenly if you're disabled then you're pushed to the side and your problems yeah. and your uh, why are they lumped together to this uh, phenomenon of being disabled and not uh, accepted and uh, dealt with in the same manner that you would deal with any other problems you know so that is that mm -hmm. is that is point number two point number three i think it inculcates a huge amount of humility and gratitude uh humility because you realize that there's not you know how small and insignificant you are and gratitude that even in the face of the most dire circumstances you somehow find the light you know you somehow find means to keep moving forward. So these are the three key points that this incident has um, perhaps changed me, hopefully for the better. Uh, but the learning is unending. I mean, I learn sure. something every day. It's a day. process. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, now that you were just speaking about your last point, the light, mm -hmm. coming fast forward and coming to now, what we're mm -hmm. going through, what do you have to say to that? What do you have to say to the listeners? So I, I think um, there's so many people who've had the chance to 
sit at home and ponder over the situation that we are in and uh, a lot of intelligent creative uh, inspiring stuff is coming out almost of everybody but i think arundhati roy put it really well in her article and she said that this pandemic is a portal into a newer world so if we think sure. that this is yes. <laughs> if we think that this is going to one day disappear and end and we will be left with you know we will switch it back on and go back to a life that we have left behind unfortunately let me break the news here that that is not going to happen and uh, mm. the, a process takes you through it to pull you out on on the other side where things are are different and i've i experienced that firsthand with my brother's incident uh, i think the hardest thing at that time was my mother uh, kept waiting that as soon as he's out of the coma 3 months later th- our you know the the trial period will end uh, mm-hmm. and it hit her suddenly when he did wake up but he was not the same and we had to re uh you know reintroduce ourselves to him and him to us and learn to love him in a new way and accept him and you know and all these things so you know the 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 difficult part the portal you know the the incident becomes a portal in which you're transported into a life that is completely different from what you've left behind and something yeah. similar is in the making in in this pandemic as well uh i so well i said. just hope that it's it's for the better and we come out wiser and more grateful and uh keeping our heads and hearts in the right place so well said so well said um uh, coming back to my to, to my last question you have various forms of expression and as you said you're sort of passionate and in love with um uh, with all of them so there's art oh yeah and you uh, there's you paint and then you write yes um out of the two which is your uh, most favorite uh it's hard to choose again but can i just <laughs> uh, can i just uh, because we were we were on in the throes of uh, you know talking about my brother's incident and you uh, suddenly asked me about the creative aspect but let me just just to give it completion i i would really like to say this here uh sure. although i i feel that i had the tendencies like writing and drawing and painting and all that stuff b- even before and i chose my medical profession over them um my brother's life uh, my brother's incident showed me this most important thing which i should have mentioned in the three but somehow it evaded my mind at that time it showed me that the capabilities that you have been blessed with are there on loan they do not belong to you and they can be taken away in an instant right and this was such an such a you know a chilling revelation something that took root in me and it has sprouted and flourished because uh, i saw firsthand that my brother who was the most eloquent of of all our siblings is now left with absolutely no mm. language and mm. uh, it made me realize that there are so many th- gifts that god had given me that i had taken for granted and the only way i could make be grateful about them and i could make use of them was to try and use the abilities i've been given to the best possible extent uh to put my heart and soul into them and to you know to, to it's not it's not a matter of pride that i can paint or i can write or i can draw it's not a matter of pride it's a matter of duty 
So there are people who are given some gifts and to utilize them, it becomes I think, I think that's what I Almost feel. mandatory. Yeah. It becomes mandatory because not all, not everybody mm. is given that. So that is why um, my brother's uh, accident saw an unleashing of all the capabilities that I'd previously repressed. And I'd questioned myself several times of whether it was worthy to indulge in them. And, you know, there were so many un unspeakable now uh, 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 queries of what was worthy, what was not, what was allowed, what was not, and all that stuff. They all melted into nothingness when I realized mm -hmm. this basic, basic thing that, you know, I, I, what am I doing here? Why am I being arrogant, thinking that this is mine? It's not mine. It's a loan. It's a gift. And I have to use it while I have it. So this brings me to... Um, you'd asked me to uh, share a piece of writing. Its title is, What Poetry Is For Me? Mm. So I'll just go ahead and indulge in this. So poetry sure. is the... Poetry is the stray puppy that I offered a drink. Poetry is the stray puppy that I offered a drink, and then it wouldn't leave my heel, following me wherever I went, till I was spent trying to shoo it away. Imagine my dismay. Every time I threw a stick, in the hope I would lose it, it would bring back two, and leave them by my feet like sacred offerings. Its big puppy eyes imploring me to accept, its tongue hanging, its tail wagging, each oscillation and interruption to my life. It wouldn't let me concentrate on what I wanted to do, till I forgot what it was that I was doing. And in, res in response, all I got was a happy bark and another round of play. Till finally, one day, it didn't come back. My aim had improved. I threw the stick beyond my ability. It followed the futility and was led astray. I had always wanted it that way, didn't I? So why now that all of my heart was mine, I was somehow unfine, something, something that I could not define. Now I looked for the puppy in all parts I knew in all directions I could see, in all dimensions I could be, till I found it finally, hiding, whimpering, sick, scared inside me. Poetry, for me, was the unwelcome guest that taught me that we don't always get to choose. Sometimes we are chosen. Wow, wow. Beautiful, beautiful, really. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, thank you very much for this. Uh, this absolutely, uh, as you said, bone chilling and heart rending and heartwarming uh, conversation. Uh, because after talking to you, uh, one realizes yes, there is uh, always there's something to be grateful about, and always there's something to hone in within ourselves. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, and, and develop it for 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 the benefit of our for for for, for others and for ourselves. Absolutely. I, absolutely. <laughs> thank you. You've said yeah. it well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And we would be most humbled if you can leave us with a comment, a rating or a suggestion. Thank you.